Good morning, everybody. Just, just during worship this morning, I was thinking about how worship is not a, it's not an obligation, it's not a duty, it's a privilege, it's a joy, and it's not just singing songs, it's, it just changes our perspective, so uh, I trust that this morning. Uh, last week, I started a sermon series called Gifts for a King, Gifts from a King, um, and we're looking at how the different gifts given to Jesus were actually prophetic statements of the gifts that he was giving back to us. And we all in our minds have this picture of the nativity scene. We went to the playhouse this week and they've got this nativity scene there. So we have this like perspective of what we think the nativity scene would have looked like. And um, when I was young, I went to, very young, I went to Three Oaks Pre-Primary School in Peter Maritzburg. And every Christmas they would do like a nativity play. And the one year, me and two other guys were the shepherds. And the reason we were the shepherds is we, we were the, the three oaks from three oaks that had tiles rolled up and put on our heads, and then we stood there, and, and we were the guys that didn't get any lines, you know, like those kids that, we're just going to, you're just going to be a shepherd. And I remember standing there terrified, my eyes were like saucers, and I was so scared when to go on and when to come off. I didn't even have a line, and I was terrified. And I remember like how uncomfortable it was, and I was, and I was thinking, you know, I'm just I'm just a shepherd. Other kids got cool things like Mary and Joseph and wise men and angels and a star. Not me. I was lining up to do grade two twice. I was that guy. You, you got no lines. Just a shepherd. Look at me now. <laughs> anyway, so last week we shared how the biblical accounts of the manger story, we know that there were three gifts given to Jesus. Three gifts given to Jesus. And then because of that, we think, well, there were three wise men. But we don't know how many wise men or magi there really were. We just know that they gave three gifts. Another interesting thing to note about um, the nativity season is some theologians say that when calculating how long it took for the magi to actually get to Jesus, he could have been over one year old already, or some even say that he was over the age of two. And I'm sure that Jesus was a perfect two-year-old. Yet for the rest of us <laughs> that have had two-year-olds, they are somewhat challenging. So this picture we have of this little baby, it could have been a two-year-old toddler. And the good news is that like toddlers behave like that, but in their mid-40s, they grow out of it, right? If you're if you, anything like me. No, my kids were amazing. Except in like public or private. Other than that, they were little, you know, they're treasures, treasures. So Matthew 2, verse 10 to 11, this is what it says about the biblical account of the story. <clears throat> when they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. So now perspective could change slightly from this little tiny infant to possibly a two-year-old. They opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And Trish brought, some, brought us some frankincense and some myrrh, and conveniently forgot the gold. Thank you, Trish. Um, so, so this morning I actually got to experience, I got to smell what frankincense and myrrh smell like. And I wanted her to bring these because I wanted some sort of tangible expression of what these gifts were. And then, without, and Brent this morning picked up the myrrh, and he said, God's got a gift to give you. And I, I just feel that there was something prophetic in what, what happened this morning, because we'll go through exactly what that stands for. Uh, I'm not sure if you've ever received strange gifts in your life. Some people get some very weird gifts. Uh, but to us, this seems like a very strange gift. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. 
but they were symbolic, practical, and incredibly valuable. Gold, which we will talk about next week, symbolizes the kingship of Jesus. Jesus is our king. Last week, we looked at the frankincense and how it symbolizes Jesus as our high priest. And today, we're looking at the myrrh. What does the myrrh mean? So the definition of myrrh, myrrh is a gum resin extracted from a few small thorny tree species of the Comophora genus belonging to the Burosinicinum something family. Remember, grade two, twice. Um, (laughs) I can read like that, it's fine. Myrrh resin has been used throughout history in medicine, perfumery, and incense. So myrrh is mentioned 17 times in scripture. One of the most popular or well-known scriptures is when Jesus was on the cross. And while he was on the cross, they offered him wine mixed with myrrh. So what they did was they took this probably because of its antiseptic qualities. They gave him something probably to dull the pain, and Jesus refused it. So they gave him wine mixed with myrrh, and Jesus refused. Another key thing to note about myrrh is that it's also used as an ingredient to embalm the dead. So it's a very strange gift to be giving a new mother and a child. Uh, And the symbolism of Jesus receiving this gift was pointing to Jesus being our suffering servant, one born to die. Jesus was born to die to take away the sins of the world, an incredibly somber gift. Imagine giving somebody like a symbol of death and embalming at their birth, right? So once again, a divine exchange, what we gave to Jesus and what Jesus gave to us. We have given Jesus, we give him our sin, and then Jesus exchanges it for eternal life, for forgiveness of our sins. It's a radical, extremely massive exchange. It seems like a completely unfair exchange. And I felt this morning, as Brent said, come forward, I felt what God was doing was he was offering us an invitation and saying, bring what you're carrying and I'll exchange it. That's the God that I am. I exchange what you carry for what I carry. So this morning you might be in pain and you've got problems and you're stressing out and somebody's sick and it's overwhelming you. And Jesus says, bring your pain and I will exchange it for my peace. Bring your suffering and I'll exchange it for healing. We serve the God of divine and radical exchange. Imagine... At Christmas time, you give someone a gift and you say, hey, look, here's my, my socks. <laughs> they, they were my great-great-grandfather's socks, and he wore them a lot. And then they were my grandfather's, and then they were uh, my father's, and then they were mine. And then it's hard to peel them apart because they're a little bit gunky. But, um, and they got holes, and they smell terrible. But that's what I've got to offer you. And the other person's like, well, I also, oh, someone, someone's ringing. Is that? <laughs> we'll wait. <laughs> Everyone, then I'm just teasing. Whoever's ringing, is it is it in my head? I got a telephone ringing in my head now. How, how's this? So so imagine giving somebody your old socks, dirty old socks, and they're like, "Oh, I also got you a gift. I got you a new Lamborghini." And uh, <laughs> no, no, don't look. Um, I, I got you a new Lamborghini with unlimited fuel and unlimited services, and I also bought you a holiday house by the beach. And it's got a chef, and it's got a masseuse, and it's got all the staff. And I also gave you a vault full of cash for Christmas. And then we're like, ah, I'm not really sure I like the color of that Lamborghini. And oh, it's so salty by the beach. And you know, like, and then what we do is we take the gift for granted. Jesus suffering in our place 
and exchanging our sin for eternal life. Eternity of heaven over eternity of hell is immeasurably greater than any illustration we could ever give. May God open our eyes to the exchange that we've been given through Christmas. In the Old Testament, there was a prophet, and his name was Isaiah, and he prophesied how Jesus would be our suffering servant. This morning, you may have heard the gospel, you may have been saved, and you've been serving God wholeheartedly for 70 years. May we never take the gospel for granted. This morning, may we hear it as if it's the first time when we go, thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. So in the Old Testament, there's this prophet, and his name is Isaiah. So 700 years before Jesus was even born, he prophesied what would happen with supernatural accuracy. And he described us, what we are like even today, the problems that we've got, and the solution to our problems. So 2,700 years later, it still holds true. And this is what Isaiah says to us. He says, Isaiah 53, verse 6, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. This includes the pastor. Trish, now's your time to go, Amen! Wow! He's the worst! <laughs> Thank you very much for your encouragement. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us. The best of us. The worst of us. Everybody has gone astray. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. So Isaiah is comparing us in City Hill, I suppose, in 2,700 plus years from when he actually first spoke to sheep. Have you ever asked somebody like, hey, look, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? <laughs> and people will think of all the cool animals that might represent them. They'll be like, oh, I'd be a, a lion, or I'd be a bear, I'd be an eagle, or I'd be a, a dolphin. I think a meerkat would be pretty cool. I'd be a meerkat. Either way, a sheep wouldn't be on the list. No one's like, oh man, I'd just love to be a sheep. The truth is, Isaiah isn't trying to compliment us. He's not saying, well done, guys, you sheep. <laughs> That's a good thing. Um, sheep are not renowned for their brilliance. You never said to your child, yo, you are as brilliant as a sheep. You know, <laughs> you're not doing that. I, I've got, uh, by the way, I don't know if this is good or bad to show. Please don't judge me. Um, I have gone astray. So, so I'm going to show a little video of it. By the way, when I went onto YouTube, <laughs> some people were like, oh, I love it. Love it when the pastor gets risky. Anyway, on the video, it was like blocked for sensitive years. So I was like, oh, but we're going to show it anyway. So please, if you are sensitive and you don't like, just close your eyes. Okay, have we got that first video? Now, it, it looks horrible, but this is a tough sheep. Now, this is, this is, this is Tim. Now, that's, that's Tim the sheep. Woohoo! Thank you, Lord, for love. Oh. <laughs> Doesn't, isn't that like all of us? I've got another one. An, a, another video. You never saw it. Oh, oh, wow, sorry. We might have to turn that down. I'll tell you now. Now, this is sheep trying to leave the room. <laughs> City Hill, let's go. <clears throat> oh, wait, hold on. Look at it stuck. This is just sheep being dumb for a whole long time. Like, I found the short videos. 
Okay. They're probably still in that room. So the, the scripture says we, like sheep, have gone astray. Sometimes our oh, God picks us up, pulls us back out, puts us on a good path, and we're like, whoop, straight back. You know? Sheeps on sheeps. Grade two twice, guys. Sheep are incredibly vulnerable animals. If a predator attacks a sheep, they can't run very fast. They aren't very nimble. They, they can't climb trees. It's not like you drive past and all the sheep are in the tree. They can't fly. They don't have fangs. They don't blend in. Unless it's snowing, but even then, sheep are not as clean as you think they are. They're pretty dirty, and even then they stand out. They don't have thumbs. They don't have venom. They are not very strong. All they can do is like hope that the lion or bear or whatever's eating them will get bored chewing through the fur and move on to something else, you know? You know? And then they'll uh, run for your life and hopefully the predator picks somebody else. And that's a sheep. And even while running away, they're not strategic. They're not like, okay, you, you guys go left, we're going to go right. They're just like, ah, all together in a big clump, you know? Sheep follow the crowd. Sheep follow the crowd. And this is a story I heard when listening to this um, sermon series. And listen to this. In 2005, in Turkey, a whole bunch of families, they got together and they were like, let's put all our sheep together into one big flock. So they had all of their families, little flocks into one big uh, herd of sheep. And they had 1,500 sheep making up the flock. 1,500. And everything was going well until one of the sheep was like, hold my beer, and then ran and jumped, seriously, jumped off a cliff. He didn't have beer. I don't know if sheep drink beer, probably. So he ran and jumped off a a cliff. And then one of the other sheep was like, oh, well, where did he go? I better go with him. So he ran. All 1,500 sheep ran and jumped off, all, all of them, the whole flock, everybody's herds, gone. Instead of them going, oh, hold on, the first one jumped, that's dangerous, it's pretty high, it's 15 meters, we better not do that. All of them went, very bad idea. But one led, and they all followed. And the good news is, well, fortunately, 1,100 sheep survived because they landed on the 400 that didn't. So, I can't believe you laugh at that. You guys, it's wrong. So, so they, the, the other ones went and made a big cushion. The whole crowd goes there. Everyone must follow. Everyone is wearing that, I must too. Everyone is doing that, I must too. Everyone is listening to that, I must too. I was thinking, as I was prepping, I was going through my playlist of the music I listened to, and I was thinking, I don't even like this, but it's on here because it's popular, and everybody else listens to it. I like, I hardly ever listen to Barbie Girl on my own. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking, joking. I always listen to it on my own. No, no, no. We, like sheep, all the guys, like, oh, did he say that? We, like sheep, have gone astray. One goes wrong, and the other follow. Sheep wonder. They wonder around. Oh, I wonder if that'll make me happy. I wonder if I'll be better off over there. I wonder if that'll satisfy. And they wonder around, and we wonder. Isaiah was saying, we have wondered. We, have, we are lost. We are caught in the crowd, and we have gone astray. God has laid out a path for all of us, and then we, like sheep, decide to take a detour from the path. And God willing, he brings us back. But we, like sheep, have gone astray. Isaiah 53, 6 and 7. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. All of us. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. 
He chose to take our space of vulnerability to make himself vulnerable so that we could be protected from that that comes against us. Jesus understands exactly who we are and what we are going through, and he can relate to us absolutely for sin. Isaiah 53, verse 3 to 5 says this. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. This is 2,700 years ago. Here we are, 2024 almost, and how many people in the same space? We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we brought his trouble, and we thought his trouble were punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. And I've shared this many times, and I'll share it again. Jesus Christ didn't just die for our sins, he suffered for our sins. He didn't fail yet he took on our failure. He didn't sin, yet he took on our sin. Jesus was accused of blasphemy for declaring that to see him is to see the Father, and he and God are one. Um, And and they said, that's blasphemous. So they didn't say, look, we're going to take you aside and we're going to execute you quietly. They publicly humiliated him. They stripped him, they beat him, they mocked him, they made him carry the very instrument of torture that they were going to crucify him on. They ripped out his beard. They spat at him. They taunted him. They drove nails through his hands and his feet. And then they propped him up publicly for all to see. Right? And beaten and bleeding in in excruciating pain. Eventually, he would have been too weak to push himself up to get oxygen. So he would have started to suffocate. He couldn't get air into his lungs. He was dying. And in this place of agony, excruciating pain, the soldiers offer him wine mixed with myrrh on a dirty sponge. And he refuses. The same gift that was given to his parents is symbolic statement of the death he would pay, the price he would pay for us. May we never take this for granted. He denied the the offer of the wine mixed with myrrh, and in that place of suffering and pain, absolutely filled with love for the people that were torturing him, eventually the father turns away. Why? So that we don't have to suffer. And we don't have to be separated from God, and God will never turn away from us. We sit in a place now, because of Jesus, we go off, Jesus pays the price, he pulls us back on path, and he says, I will never turn away from you, I will never reject you, and I will never forsake you. For all those that choose me, I am always available. Isaiah 53, 8 and 9, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried, uh, buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Isaiah was declaring 700 years before it happened exactly what would happen. And Jesus didn't fight and resist and protest and build an army and rally against them. He laid down his life, knowing me at my worst. Unlike any other religion... Jesus 
humbled himself, came down to earth, laid down his life, rose again so that we could rise with him. And with the mercy symbolizing that he was born to die so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. A gift given by the wise man to say, this is for your son. Symbolic of his death. And then he lives a full life, perfect and pure, and then takes our place on the cross. It's a divine exchange. This morning during worship, I was like, we carry our stuff to church. If I'm willing to go that far to exchange eternal life, I'm willing to meet you where you're at. So what do we give back to God? Now, how do we respond? Jesus Christ says, I lay down my life. I die in your place so that you not just don't have to get the punishment, but that you can be rewarded into eternity. He doesn't say, okay, well, what I want you to do now is I want you to, you know, give God, include God in your lives or, or give God the odd Sunday, serve at church. This is how Luke puts it. Luke 9, verse 22 and 23. The son of man must suffer many terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of rebellious, I mean, religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. Then he said to the crowd, as he says to us today, and he says to me, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. The path you think is right for you, give that up. Take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, we don't live our lives and in and then ask God to be included, we lay down our lives, live the life that he wants us to live, and thank God that he included us. We, like sheep, have all gone astray. All of us. Thank God we have a good shepherd. Going up to Christmas, we come to God with our stinky, dirty socks, our best efforts, our rags. This is what I've got to offer you. It's, it's, it's filthy rags. God says, I will exchange that for eternal life, eternal life, for, for the forgiveness of your sin, for healing, for restoration, for all that you lack, I am. And that's a word I felt in the prayer meeting. God's saying to us this morning, I am. I am your peace. I am your provision. I am your protector. I am your healer. I am your guide. I am your strength. I am your support. I am all you need to get through the season that you're in. It's radical. So when we have the ministry team come up, which that's what I've got to say. When we have the ministry team come up this morning, if you've got something that you're carrying and you're thinking, Lord, I'd love to exchange my pain for that peace, come up for prayer. If it matters to you, it matters to God. That's not a scripture, but it makes sense. God's big enough. He's not going, oh, no, I'm all concerned about the stuff that's going elsewhere. God is God. He can care for the small details in our lives as well as the big things because we can't reduce them to only one thing at a time. If you are carrying something today, exchange that for what God made available on the cross. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, all of us have gone astray. We've all done it our way and we realize that our way doesn't work. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you don't just say, well, that's a silly sheep and off they go. You come after us. You leave the 99 to find the one. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that even from your birth, 
It was prophesied that you were born to die, to take away the sins of the world. May we as believers never take that for granted. And if there's people sitting in the room, Lord Jesus, I pray that you'll open their hearts to understand who you are and what you've done, Lord Jesus. I thank you that pride will be washed aside and that people will run forward to give their life to Almighty God. Lord Jesus, we've heard it this morning. Every knee will bow. I thank you, Jesus, that we volunteer to bow and surrender to a loving, good God. Please, Lord Jesus, may if we are wondering now, I thank you that you will lead us back onto the path that's right for us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you knew we would wonder, so you came to collect us. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that we will offer our praise. As we sang this morning, all I can give is a hallelujah. I know it's not much. I have nothing else fit for a king. We bring our filthy rags, Lord, and you exchange it for eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.